1: What up, world? As for his point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond, you're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get ten dollars off your first order. We're going to start right away with our questions from Mailbag Monday, but just in case this is your first edition or if you've forgotten how to get involved, let me remind you. You can just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Whenever you're thinking of a question, just send it my way or wait for Monday mornings when around 9 a.m. Pacific time, I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet. I will answer them here. If you are not a Twitter person, you can still submit a question to the show. Just send me an email. Locked on Blazers Pod. That's Locked on Blazers Pod at gmail.com. And I will <laughs> very likely remember to check it each week and answer it on the show. Those are the two ways to get involved. We got some great questions this week. No more preamble. Let's get into it. This first one comes from Jeff via Gmail. It's a Gmail heavy episode. Uh, I Not only did I check the email, but there were a bunch there waiting for me when I got in there. So Jeff's question, he actually has two. We'll hit them both. First, Jeff asks, In one of your other mailbags, you talked about how much fun it was to watch the guys play one-on-one. My question is, which role-slash-bench player would surprise us as a one-on-one killer? I remember in 2002, the stories from Team USA was that Allen Houston was the unbeatable guy in one-on-one, which no one would expect. So Jeff is referencing a uh, story or series of stories I was telling when basically they let media into a Blazer practice. Uh, The practice is done. Like we only get in there post-practice and guys are either going through shooting drills or playing one-on-one. And you can see kind of uh, dudes go at it. And there's various versions of one-on-one. There's sometimes when you get at the top of the key and you get a limited number of dribbles, sometimes uh, they'll go block by block so you play to five on the right block five on the left block there's a bunch of different things you switch it up these dudes are playing basketball you know 10 every day for several hours a day 10 months out of the year you can imagine that they change up the rules of their games that seems normal to me right so the best sort of role players i randomly saw mo harkless would always kill dudes in one-on-one maybe maybe i mean he's a role player not a bench player he's but his athleticism and one-on-one would always stand out. And I think it was, uh, what would surprise me is, you know, he'd blow past dudes and dunk. Um, he would shoot little mid range fades out of the post and things like that. Uh, he would use his length really well. And, in, and in one-on-one particularly when you go against perimeter guys, uh, that always struck me because I thought Mo Harkless's whole problem as a player was that they couldn't turn him up enough that he could play uh, like really aggressive all the time. You'd get you know two weeks of Mo playing inc- incredibly hard, and then a-, a month of him kind of floating around and not playing with that same intensity. But one on one, you can't hide it, and I thought he was typically one of the guys who I would always be impressed with the one-on-one the other dude maybe this is more obvious is Evan Turner um, not a great offensive player someone who, who prefers to pass and is not much of a shooter but on one-on-one he's just so physical physically imposing and big like he's six seven with a big butt you he will throw you around in the post. He's exactly not the type of dude you want to see uh, when you're in the gym. So yeah, Mo Harkless and Evan Turner were kind of the classics one-on-one beasts. Jeff's second question is: If the NBA salary cap takes a significant reduction next year, and thus the luxury tax threshold goes down, does that change yours or the Blazers' thoughts on keeping Whiteside and/or Ariza just because they have talent, and maybe even and it may be even harder to sign guys? Or will this make it? So even more talent will be available for the mid-level exception. Jeff, was a great question. I hadn't really considered how less money might flatten the market and make the mid-level exception or the taxpayer exception, the two exceptions, more valuable since more teams would only be left with kind of that to use at their disposal. I hadn't really considered that. However, the Blazers have never done really well when there's an even playing field for free agents, and in general, I think the cap coming down and the tax line coming down is bad for them, as they were going to have limited flexibility before, and they're going to have even less now. Ariza seems like a lock to come back, regardless of what happens. His contract's a little onerous at $12 million a year. Um, he's probably not going to give you that type of production. But getting rid of him, waiving him, um, doesn't create enough cap space to probably get a player of larger impact. So I think Ariza comes back. Um I am assuming that Whiteside is super-duper gone, um, but perhaps if the market dries up, he'd be willing to come back in a short-term deal with the Blazers. I mean, perhaps that's, if there really is this crazy cap crunch and there's 20 luxury tax teams all of a sudden, maybe Whiteside's market dries up in the near term and he decides to run it back the following offseason. Uh, hard to say. I don't think, with those two guys specifically, I don't, I am have a hard time sort of reading how the how much cap fluctuation would change the way they do it, but would or would make decisions. But certainly, you know, they Whiteside they can't go over to the cap to get him. They they'd have to kind of figure out a deal that works with their within their parameters. So maybe he's a mid level guy if uh, if like a taxpayer or a taxpayer exception guy if the league has this money crunch all of a sudden. Thanks for the questions, Jeff. Let's move on. This next one comes from Bob, also from Gmail. I told you we had a lot of emails this week. Why would I make that up? But I wasn't. Bob asks, when it comes to the Blazers, I've been thinking a lot about the draft. Their first round pick is clearly one of their best assets to improve this offseason. I want you to rank from least likely to most likely what the most Olshay draft selection would be. This would be based on his habits as an evaluator of players and team needs, his past draft selections. I don't necessarily think these are the best options, but they feel like a real possibility with Olshe as the head or at the head. Okay, so he gave me four options below. I'm going to read them off in order of least likely to most likely. Least likely is draft a young and talented point guard. The Blazers have Anthony Simons. They have Gary Trent Jr. They have... CJ McCollum. They have Damian Lillard. There aren't minutes for a fifth guard. It'll be wild to spend a first-round pick on a fifth guard, so that's the least likely scenario. Next is a college senior. Uh, This is just really specific. Uh, Like, I didn't pick this because Neil doesn't like college seniors. He hasn't really drafted a ton of seniors, like, in his in his tenure, but also there are just fewer and fewer draft-eligible seniors. The guys who stay four years in college are are becoming less and less likely to be in the NBA. Shout out to Jalen Brunson. So, three, or the third least likely, or third most likely college senior. So the second most likely draft, a true center with little ability to space the floor. Listen, they need tall people. They don't have a lot of forwards. I think they need forwards. I I view... Right now, the roster, Nurk as a five, and Zach Collins, he'll start a power forward, but he's perfectly suitable to play the backup center position. Typically, typically, though, Terry Stotts has played a four-man front court rotation when, when the Blazers have been good, so that would mean that the Blazers would still need two other bigs off the bench. So a true center with a limited ability to space the floor seems like the second most likely scenario, and the most likely scenario, as Bob presented to us, is a wing with clear physical tools, but has failed to be a positive contributor at the collegiate level. The Blazers need forwards. It would make sense that they would go chase another forward. And Neil O'Shea often, it seems like, gets enamored with physical tools and potential and the belief that his staff, his, his coaching staff, can develop guys into more s- to positive contributors, and thinks that they can become, you know, can become more than they have shown. See Nazir Little. All right, second segment, we're going to come back and answer more of your questions. But before we get there, I want to tell y'all about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Their trick is that they taste good. Uh, all, they come in 16 wonderful flavors. All of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. they got great te- great texture. Like I said, it's a, it's like eating a candy bar, except it isn't bad for you. Bilt Bar is great for the health conscious among us because it's low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. It's got, it's got low net carbs. Pretty much all their flavors are, are under five net carbs. That's a pretty good deal. And it's a lot better than reaching in your pantry for unhealthy options that you might otherwise be drawn toward. You're home, you're hungry, you're much better off reaching in your pantry and grabbing a Bilt Bar. Trust me, they just taste really good. Here's what you do if you want to get your hands on some. Go to BiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BiltBar.com.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: All right, let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday, answering more of your questions. This next one comes from Nick via Gmail. Nick asks... How much potential does Nazir Little have? Outside of some solid putbacks, he has great defensive energy. Lamar Heard has remarked that his three-point form is solid. Obviously, Neil is high on him, but if Neil had a hand in Game of Thrones, he would be high on season eight. Uh, Just as an aside, Neil Olshay has an insane pop culture knowledge. Uh, If you've heard him on the low post, he did the crazy uh, Seinfeld trivia where he just knew sort of like little inane details of, of... various seinfeld episodes he was dominant on there but he also just has like an encyclopedic memory for movies and movie actors and tv stuff um just chatting with him about sort of random things he's he's neil is really impressive on pop culture knowledge in any case nazir little has added a little more arc to his shot he told me that he was shooting flatter when he was at unc um his shot did look prettier. I, I, I would agree with that. There was noticeable, just sort of like he had cleaner looking mechanics. It wasn't drastic, but his his shot more, looked more like a, a shooter shot than someone who was um, throwing lasers like he did in college. The numbers, though, in college and the NBA, nearly identical. Uh, he had more space to shoot in the pros, probably, just because the way it works. He, he was a complimentary player in almost every lineup he played. But... Uh, not exactly the same role he played at UNC, although somewhat similar. For me, you know, Nazir Little maxes out as a very solid role player, a fourth or fifth starter type. That's pretty good for a pick in the twenties. Like I think if, if if he ends up being a guy who can sm- sort of maybe start in the NBA, that's a huge come up for a for a late first round draft pick, right? Like most of those guys don't make the NBA. I like him as a long term NBA player. Never a star. I don't see that in his in his game. Uh, he's I I just think he's more high-end role player than than ever a star. There's a chance that he's always kind of a backup backup power forward. But I see him, his athleticism and his size, I mean, he's not tall, but he's long. Um, I see him as a long-term NBA player. Nick actually sent two questions in. It's the beauty of Gmail. There's a lot of characters. Nick's second question is, Caleb Swanigan can't shoot, but he does have potential as a solid... But does he have potential as a solid passing big? Outside of his obvious screens... CJ's highlights for the March 2nd game demonstrate some great passing to shooters. Yeah, listen, I watched the highlights of this game. It was against the Magic. Um, You just like Caleb Swanigan more than me. I was not... um, I think he made the right pass a couple times in these highlights, um, but none of these are like... None of these are, are high, high skill level passes or, or even really high IQ level passes. This is just like, I know what I'm supposed to do. And that's kind of what I see from Caleb. He's a dude who plays hard, but his overall skill is just so limited. I don't think he's an NBA player. Our next question comes from Steven Delk, at Stephen Delk on Twitter, who asks, In the theme of what ifs, it's What If Week here at uh, Lockdown Blazers. we got two more What If episodes coming later this week. So, And we had two last week. What If Sabonis came over in the 80s and What If the Blazers kept Moses Malone. Check those out if you haven't listened to them. But in the theme of What If, Stephen, Del- Stephen Delk asks... What if, instead of drafting Myers-Leonard, what other talent could we have gotten that would have made a bigger impact and contributed your opinion than Olshade's wants slash needs? Okay, so my pick, I guess, would be Jeremy Lamb, who went 12th directly after Myers. Uh, Evan Fournier went 20th. Maurice Harkless went 15th. The Blazers ended up getting Mo Harkless the final year of his rookie deal when he turned in to be a positive contributor. Um, Jeremy Lamb wasn't he, he took a little while to come around, kind of like on that Tarkless timeline. So right away, Fournier probably would have been the best contributor. He wasn't super good as a rookie in Denver, but he was totally serviceable, a, a, like a, a rotation-level wing or two-guard who could shoot. Uh, the real takeaway here is that the 2012 draft class was bad, and that while Myers was not a necessarily a positive contributor during his uh, long time in Portland, seven seasons in Portland, uh, there isn't like a player behind him that you say, oh man, they could have had him. Obviously, uh, there are other guys in this draft. Draymond Green goes in the second round, but it's hard for me to say the Blazers should have taken this dude who went pick 40 or whatever pick th- pick 37 um, when ev- every team in the league basically had a chance to g- get Draymond and passed on him the warriors drafted Harrison Barnes and Festus Ezeli ahead of Draymond he was their third pick in the draft they didn't know either that's not how it works so for me i'd say Jeremy Lamb although i don't think he dramatically changes what the blazers were and he probably eats into will barton's minutes and i'm a will barton guy neil's pick though in this draft is 100% miles plumley and after he picks miles plumley the center out of duke the older brother of mason he talks about this is neil's hypothetical press conference he immediately says the word winning pedigree and points out that among people named miles that played at programs in the southeastern united states he ranks top four in rebound percentage and neil believes that miles plumley can develop into a reliable jump shooter and he's thrilled to have him on the roster that is your fake olshe press conference Next question comes from David Devreen at Squared 503 on Twitter, who asks, Met you at PDX years ago, and you commented on my Toro Bravo Jordan 4s. What are your top three sneakers of all time? For those of you who don't know, Index PDX is a wonderful consignment sneaker shop. They also um, sell shoes not on consignment there, but the best place to buy shoes in Portland. I am uh, in no way affiliated, nor have I gotten any free stuff from them, but I'm still repping. In any case, um, David, my I'll answer this question a variety of ways. My favorite Jordans of all time. I'm a very simple Jordans man. Give me one, three, four, and eleven. My favorite shoes, just for for that I haven't worn, uh, but just in terms of style, I love the Kamikaze Twos. Sean Kemp's Reeboks. If you got car trouble, then you'll be okay. You're rocking RWE, be okay. I love the LeBron Tens. Those were just fantastic shoes. I think they're the best LeBrons that have ever come out, both in style and in function. I loved, as a kid, the Nike Air Bacons. I loved Mitch Richman as a kid, probably because my name is Mike Richman, and, you know, those things are related, maybe, in my child brain. So I love those Nike Air Bacons. Uh, Ugly shoes, never tried them on. Uh, They're kind of goofy now, but I love them as a kid. And finally, the posit Ones. I love posits. I have no connection to the DMV or... uh, Prince George's County or the greater DC area where foam posits are, are, you know, an essential part of your wardrobe. I guess my sister lives in DC, shout out to her, but uh, she's not wearing foam posits. But in any case, I love foam posits. Love the look, love Penny Hardaway. They're tight. The best I've ever played in. My four best shoes I've ever played in. LeBron 12s, fantastic shoe. Dame 4s. I don't think Dame's made a better shoe. I don't think he will make a better shoe. I have two pairs of Dame 4s. Love to play low-level pickup basketball in them. Nike Hyperflights were my shoe as as a teen. Shout out to those ugly waxy shoes, but they were great. And the Kobe Eleven Last Emperor's, those are those black and white uh, Kobe Eleven Lows, um, the first low basketball sneaker I've ever played in them, and I really enjoyed them. Okay, next question comes from Esoteric Eric at Esoteric underscore Eric on Twitter, who asks, "I think we're all rooting for the Sonics to return to Seattle. In your opinion, what other city is deserving of a franchise?" Also get to pick a new head coach, can't clearly be coaching a team, and the new team's name. I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Lights. Here's my reasoning. The New Orleans Pelicans need to be an East Coast team. The Memphis Grizzlies need to be, or Eastern Conference team. The Memphis Grizzlies need to be an Eastern Conference team. I'd like to see a league alignment where the Minnesota Timberwolves and Chicago Bulls are in the same position. division of sorts like that should be a great midwestern regional rivalry the nba needs to lean in more to that the bucks and bulls and timberwolves should all play each other and have this midwest beef those those cities are close together look at a map david stern or whoever i should be uh yelling at for this this current alignment but i'll go las vegas lights because i want to i want two west coast teams to move memphis and new orleans to the east the Eastern Conference, uh, Vegas is is a, a city that's ready for it. I don't have some sort of special connection to Vegas. I was going to pick Pittsburgh, where I do have a special connection, but that messes up with my whole move those teams to the Eastern Conference plan. And my head coach of this fake team is going to be Becky Hammond. Give Becky Hammond a chance. She deserves it. All right, third segment. We're going to come back and answer more of your questions. But first, I want to tell you all about Blinkist. It's hard to find time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. But there's an incredible app that solves this problem. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Here's what it does. It takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. There's already 12 million people using Blinkist right now. It's got a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, all for one low price. Sound pretty good? Here's how you get involved. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for my audience. Go to Blinkist.com MBA and try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com MBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com MBA.
0: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Still a pass for his point guard. Still locked on, Blazers. Still Mike Richmond. Still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Matthew, at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, What is more likely to happen, the Blazers play another game this season, or Mellow plays for the Blazers next season? Also, I had a dream that one of my friends insisted I try Billbar. I'm thinking I'm listening to too many locked on podcasts. Maybe you just need to try Billbar. Maybe you should go to billbar.com and use the promo code lockedon, to get 10% off your first purchase, you know? It's a delicious protein bar, Matt. Think about it. Okay, your question though. I'm going to say it is much more likely the Blazers play play a game this season. Uh it it seems like we're heading in the direction for For better or for very much worse, we are going to get live sports in a lot of American states coming soon. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, basically said California is ready to roll. Uh, Governor in Florida has been (laughs) ready to roll from the very beginning and hasn't changed uh, his stance Sounds like New York is, is following the same line. Colorado has said that they'll be ready for professional sports. So I, I think we're going to play some. And from what I understand, there is there is a growing belief that the league will try to play regular season games in order for teams to have a chance to make as much money as possible on television. Um We'll see how all that plays out, but I'm going to say that's more likely than Mello resigning with the Blazers. Although he stayed in Portland during the whole pandemic, he hasn't. He didn't go back to L.A. or any other metropolis. He stayed. He stayed in the community. Um, He's said that he could. Cons- that he would strongly consider it. Uh, I just think if if he hasn't made it. Ne- never in his career, right? 17 years in, has he considered coming off the bench? He famously laughed when they asked him that in OKC. So if he doesn't have that role, right? If 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 the Blazers say it's going to be Zach Collins, I do think that would maybe change Mello's thinking or at least factor into it a great deal. But I, I still think that much more likely the Blazers play one more game, a regular season game, than, he, uh, than Mello is back next year. But, you know, I have uh, I was wrong about Paul Gasol when you gave me a really similar one, so let's see if I can get uh, get two of these hypotheticals wrong in a row. Next question comes from Logan Gillis, at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, What if the Blazers had kept their 95 pick that turned into Theo Ratliff? Ratliff in his prime means no need to deal Jermaine O'Neill to acquire Dale Davis. Let's get a little background. Logan is getting into deep Blazers lore, talking about the 1995 NBA draft, shout out to Rasheed Wallace. Okay, um... Pfft. Here's what happened. 95 draft, the Blazers are part of a three-team trade that sent uh, that brought Gary Trent, father of Gary Trent Jr., you may remember, Gary Trent Sr., and Randolph Childress, point guard from Wake Forest, to Portland, Sean Raspert to Milwaukee, and Theo Ratliff to Detroit. Uh, the Blazers had multiple picks. They, they wheeled and dealed, and this is how it turned out. So what happens if they keep Theo Ratliff? They don't do this trade. One, they they don't have, they likely don't end up with Gary Trent and Randolph Childress. So that's a small thing. Um, neither of those dudes were stars in the league, but Gary Trent Jr. was a serviceable serviceable rotation player for a handful of years. Um, so you lose him, but you add in Theo Ratliff, who was an all-star by the 2000-2001 season. Um... He made the all-star team with Philly, but he was traded to Atlanta before that year ended, although he never played for Atlanta because he was hurt. But in any case, he was a very good player um, by the time the Blazers were, you know, pushing towards back-to-back Western Conference Finals in 99 and 2000. Um I think the idea that Theo Ratliff would have solved this problem is maybe a little bit generous into how team politics work, but it certainly seems like a, a good solution. Uh, Theo Ratliff was a full-time starter basically from 1997 through the 0304 3 4 season, so the idea basically being that he was probably too good to come off the bench behind Arvidas Sabonis. Sabonis seems like the guy who kind of, at least at that stage in his career and where he was health-wise, would have been okay with that, but... Those are always hard things to parse. You know, Sabonis had been a big part of the Blazers' plans for 15 years at this point, and whether he would have said, yeah, I'll let Rashid Wallace throw a towel in my face and come off the bench seems like you're getting really deep into the weeds a little bit. But Rathafel was really good. He, read the, he led the league three out of four seasons from 01 to 04, which means that when they do swing that trade for Jermaine O'Neal in the... Uh, the in the 0102 season maybe they would have thought otherwise they wouldn't have needed to chase Dale Davis i think you're kind of right they wouldn't have needed a, a backup true center veteran type guy cuz they would have had it in in Theo Ratliff i i think this is i think you're on the right track logan i don't think i agree wholeheartedly that this is just like a a simple cut and dry solution but um it, it helps it helps and if you have and perhaps this does allow them to bridge Jermaine O'Neal and you're getting into some content for later this week. So stick with me, Logan. Maybe we'll talk about Jermaine O'Neal on Thursday or Friday. Okay, let's do it then. Final question of the show comes from Michael from Gmail. Michael and I had a long back and forth um, About, basically, he asked me some questions. I said, I don't understand the questions. He fleshed out a whole scenario for me about his frustrations with what's going on with the Blazers. So let me, I'll try to condense this question into a a podcast-size query. Michael asks, Michael basically posits that Dame has been amazing, but the Blazers have been held back by their inability to get the right kind of talent around him. And for Michael's money, the right kind of talent is a wing who can go get buckets. A guy bigger than 6'6", who can play on both ends, but also can score on his own or help lead an offense on his own. Uh, It would be, quote, someone who can guard the best offensive players in the league. Michael adds, it doesn't take a brilliant salesman to sell CJ as a number one star or a key missing piece for an offensively challenged top teams. I'm going to push back right there, Michael. I don't think you can sell C.J. McCollum as a top, as a, as a number one. I know he was really good when the Blazers didn't have Damian Lillard. The Blazers also sucked and had one of their worst losses during that stretch, right? They lost a, just a horrific game in Atlanta. This Blazers team roster without Dame was her, was Rick super bad. The Blazers' second best player was 35-year-old Carmelo Anthony. It yeah, that's, that's probably unfair. The Blazers' second best player at the time was Hassan Whiteside, a guy who has real limitations on both ends of the court. So the Blazers going two and four during that stretch is an indictment of CJ, but it is a pretty good under, like it shows you both sides of it. I think it says he's capable of being a guy who averages maybe thirty and nine, if you if he's like a you know, good stats bad team guy, but he's not going to. He is not, for me, it was proof that he's not a one. It it might mean that he's more than what he's shown, but maybe not an ace one. There just aren't a lot of dudes in the league that good, and being a significant step down from Damian Lillard just means that he's like a lot of other guards in the NBA. So I do think it's a hard sell for... Saying that he could be an, he could be your lead guy. In fact, uh, I've been saying this on this podcast, but I believe John Hollinger of the Athletics said it this week in a piece that he co-wrote co-authored with Jason Quick, basically that he's not 100 percent sure that CJ is a positive trade value. I basically said you might have to add a little bit of sweetener with to make CJ's contract more palatable, and I think Hollinger is basically saying the same thing. There is that you might not be able to trade CJ. F- you, CJ might be looked at as as. Uh, as a negative asset because of his age and because he's got $100 million still owed to him. However, Michael from Gmail continues. CJ's got the best mid-range in the game. He's tireless. He's a trash talker. He's, ca- he's a catch-and-shoot phenom. He's a leader, a star offensive player with broken ankle victim list straight out of Kill Bill and a playoff series winner. I had to read that uh, victim, victim list straight out of Kill Bill. It's a great line, Michael. Good work. Michael adds, that's worth a lot, including... Straight up for these trades. And he offers the following trades. Aaron Gordon. Brandon Ingram. Jalen Brown. Aaron Gordon as your second best player or as your third best player when, you, when Nurk is healthy is not a winning plan. He's not a three. When you let him dribble, he's way worse. He has to play four. Now the Blazers desperately need someone who could play four. I think Zach Collins is more of a five. The Blazers' plan is to move uh... Collins into the starting lineup, however, and if you trade C.J. for a guy who can't necessarily start in your ideal version of the roster, you have a real problem. Uh, Aaron Gordon is just a power forward. He's been asked to play out of position. Um, He has some nice skills, but to me, when you put the ball in his hands, he's hurrying to take the worst imaginable shots, a bunch of pull-up long twos. He's an okay spot-up shooter, he's a really good defender, he's got some playmaking ability and some skills for his size, but he's a four, and to me, he is such a massive step down from CJ in terms of what he would provide. Production-wise, I am very wary of that trade. I'm not hitting you with a hell nah, it's not deep enough to be a hell nah, but it's close. Straight up for Brandon Ingram, why on earth would the Pelicans do that one? They just traded Anthony Davis for this dude. He made an All Star team. It's just not going to happen. They don't. They don't need him. They got point guards Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball. Uh, Drew Holiday is probably just straight up better than CJ McCollum, and Lonzo Ball's way younger and way cheaper right now, and he's also six foot six. I think we're getting back to the core of your problem, Jalen Brown. There's no way the Celtics are trading Jalen Brown, um, who also has signed a massive contract for a player significantly older than him, way worse on defense, who doesn't fit the plan. I don't think either of... Well, I think the Magic would certainly entertain that idea immediately. They'd probably smash the yes button. I hate the Aaron Gordon trade, and I don't think the other two are available. But Michael continues, he will not be held down. He he adds his personal favorite trade idea is the following. CJ McCollum, a 2021 first round pick, a 2020 second round pick, and Anthony Simons if needed as sweetener. I'm going to spoil it right now. You're going to need that sweetener playboy for the most underappreciated player in the league, Ben Simmons. Michael's words. Ben and Nurk may create spacing issues but th- that also exist in Philly, but the Sixers had like .7 shooters on that team. Plus, Nurk's passing and rebounding define his game as opposed to the black hole and Embiid. Yo, know, I like Joel Embiid. I don't like this slander. But yeah, you're right. Nurk passes more than him. Michael continues. They, being Ben and Nurk, would work well in a new-age triangle-styled offense featuring baseline drives from Simmons, threes from the top of the key from Lillard, and and pick-and-roll with Nurk, featuring Dame and Simmons as ball handlers. Fill in the blanks with shooters and hustle defenders. My friends, you have a championship-caliber team. What do you think? I think this is the best trade. I I have pitched a similar idea when people have said, you know, give me a CJ McCollum trade that you like. I have... I have smashed the yes button when people have pitched a similar Simmons for McCollum trade. I think this solves problems for both teams. I'm a big believer in Ben Simmons. Um, I think he's really flawed. He—he he, It's not that he, he can't shoot, it's that he won't shoot. I think that's a bigger problem than not being able to shoot. It's not trying to shoot. Look at his shot chart. It is wild. He doesn't attempt shots outside of 10 feet. And yet, he was an all-star, and I think a no-brainer all-star. He's an elite defender, 6'10", can handle the handle the ball, is an incredible athlete in the open floor, solves a lot of the Blazers' problems in terms of, like, secondary initiator, which seems to be a thing that they're always kind of searching for. Or I guess they're searching for that third-level initiator with Damon C.J., but in any case, another guy who can create offense. Um, obviously, Simmons has his issues, but I'm, I'm a big believer. Uh, I think you can play him at four, or you can play him at sort of, like, weird three if you have the right guys around him you can even play him at weird shooting guard just because i think he can guard a lot of different spots like he's he 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 really is positionless in a lot of ways he might be a center like that might be his actual position as ball handling center but he i think he solves a lot of problems I'm not sure the blazers do that trade but i like that trade michael adds that that the Blazers are shitty and we should not be content. We should be mad. It can be different. I believe that if you say it, it can happen. Now, Michael, I want to lay out some of the issues with your frustrations here. One, wings are the hardest thing to acquire in the league. This is an imperfect way to measure it. But I just looked at uh, the PER numbers, rankings for this season on ESPN.com. John Hollinger's player efficiency rating is is it's a problematic stat. These catch all stats don't mean anything, but I think it illustrates my point fairly well, so we're gonna roll with it. According to Hollinger, the league average PER is 15 in any given year. There are 43 centers with a PER higher of higher than 15. The, it famously likes scores and rebounders. Big guys always do better. There are 29 power forwards who are who are better than league average. That means there's basically a starting center and a starting power forward available for every team in the NBA. There are 34 point guards with an above-average PER. There are 23 shooting guards. See, we're getting to that problem. There's only 23 two-guards in the league who are even above-average player efficiency-wise. And then we get to small forwards, which is kind of, I think, the thing you're targeting. is that 6'6 wing who can do stuff. There are 14 small forwards... Just 14, not even half the league. You can actually bump it up to 15, but that's going to include Ronnie Hollis-Jefferson and Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark played zero minutes, basically, at small forward this year. I'm not sure why ESPN categorizes him as such, but whatever. And Rondy Hollis-Jefferson is like a, like a chaotic small ball five at this stage of his career. Played a little bit of power forward and a little bit of small forward for the Raptors, so it's okay. So let's call it 14 limiting Brandon Clark. That means not even half the league can start an average small forward. Two of those guys, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, play on the same team. Among the other sort of obvious elite wings in the league, or elite small forward in the league, Chris Middleton. Probably not trading for Chris Middleton. Not CJ McCollum. Jimmy Butler. Uh, I mean, potentially, but... Seems very unlikely, considering how the Heat position themselves and their interest in chasing Giannis onto next summer. They're not taking on CJ's money. Brad Beal, not really a, a uh, not really a uh, three, but definitely someone you could consider trading CJ for. And if you're looking for a high-quality wing, and then it's the other guys you listed: Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, throw in Jason Tatum and Clay Thompson. There just aren't that many high-level wings in the league. It is hard to find a deal that the team would both want C.J. McCollum and would give the Blazers back what you want. So it's okay to be mad and feel like this team is poorly constructed, but what I challenge you, Michael, is to realize the thing you want is the thing every team in the NBA wants, and there just aren't a lot of them available. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for letting me go a little bit long on Michael's question, but I promised him I'd give him the space to address all his concerns. So thanks for rolling with me. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers and we'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.